the MMA NBA alliance is complete because Ariel Hawani is on the show. The top fight journalist, he got to cover NBA games. We talk about that and more on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, NMLS 3112, equal housing lender. Podcast schedule this week. Wednesday, coming out with Beth Moens, who is on the call for ESPN's game, Jazz Warriors, women-led crew, broadcasting stories, how she sets up for two teams that are in the top four in the Western Conference. And then something on Friday, after trade deadline, after it's all hammered out, official, give you something there. Meanwhile, you can listen to Ryan McDonough, on the options that the Jazz have, Bobby Marks, who is on the show, Tim McMahon. There's options for that trade deadline talk that you want to hear. But today, Helwani, huge Knicks fan. But in addition to that, he had a Western Conference team, and it was the Utah Jazz. So he explains that, who his favorite jazz man growing up was, and he has a controversial opinion on a New York Knicks staple. So don't miss this. Ariel Hawani on the show. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening. Ariel Hawani on how a kid from Montreal becomes a huge NBA fan. Enjoy. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to, to be here. You know, the Jazz uh, have always uh, embraced me as one of their own. Shout out to my guy, Derek. Uh, and shout out to uh, some of the ex-jazz players who uh, are MMA fans, most notably uh, Mr. Jarebko, Mr. Darren Williams. So it's uh, it's been a nice partnership between MMA and the Utah Jazz family. So even though I am a lifelong Knicks fan, I'm very happy to be here. My, the Jazz have always been like my Western Conference team, if I'm being honest. Okay. All right. So what is it about the NBA players that have come through here? You've got... Jarebko, Darren Williams, Rudy Gobert now are UFC fans, the crossover between the NBA and the UFC. I mean, I think that uh, MMA is like a vice for a lot of pro athletes, right? Um, they can't imagine themselves going into a cage and fighting someone else. It's a fun thing to do with your teammates, especially when you're on the road, Saturday night. It's not really conflicting usually with a game. You know, it's if you're on the East Coast, it's 10 p.m., uh, Eastern when the main card starts. And uh, I actually have been surprised at how, you know, we live in a MMA bubble um, where we, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, drink MMA. And when I got to work for ESPN and got to do some NBA games, I was really shocked at how many sort of, I don't want to say closet fans there were, but, you know, not everyone's talking about all the things that they're interested in, how many people actually knew who I was and who were fans of the sport. Like I have some crazy memories one in particular, um, you know, we're, we're doing the coaches meeting before the game, a game in Oklahoma City between the Nuggets and the Thunder. And uh, it's me, Ryan Rucco, and Doris Burke, the legend. And already, I'm, I still don't even feel like worthy of being in this room, a part of this broadcast. Like, how the hell did I end up here? And the first coach to come in is Billy Donovan, who at the time was the coach of the Thunder. And he's like, hey, hello, Ryan. Hello, Doris. And he looks at me and he's like, you're a big deal in my household. My son loves you. He listens to you all the time. I'm like, this is freaking nuts. 
Uh, and so then he's like, you know, do you think that he could reach out to you to do an interview? I was like, of course, you're Billy Donovan. This is tremendous. Then uh, Michael Malone comes in, Coach Malone, and he, he sits down and he's like, all right, I know you guys are going to ask us a lot of questions. It was a big game. It was February of 2020, right before the pandemic. And, you know, the Nuggets were trying to get the, the I think it was the either the one seed or the two seed, February. So it's a little bit, you know, a couple months left in the season. And um, he's like, all right, whatever, you know, uh, we're going to talk about the game. And then he looks, but he goes, but I got a question for you. And this was a month after Connor returned and beat Cowboy Cerrone. And he looks at me and he's like, I got a question for you. Are we going to see Connor versus Habib too? I was like, what? How does this guy know who I am? This is freaking Brendan Malone's son. This is nuts. So, you know, Stephen Adams walks up to me and he's like, I want to talk to you about Izzy. I was like, what? Stephen Adams? Poor Zingas, big fan. So it, it's just it's just been an amazing thing uh, getting to meet these guys that I love watching, that I look up to, that I admire, and they know me because of the fight game. Well, you are the preeminent MMA journalist. I, I think so. I mean, that you set out to become that, and now you're one of the biggest promoters of the sport, kind of ironic with the way that they treat you, but huh. still. You said it. What have you enjoyed in this crossover? Because if I told 1994 Helwani, hey, in 2022, you're going to interview Charles Oakley. Oh, man. What would you even say? I would have, I would have fainted. I would have, I, I, there was nothing in the 90s, mid to late 90s, that I loved more than NBA basketball. And there was nothing that I loved more. Than the New York Knicks, uh, I was obsessed. I mean, I would cry, weep when they would get eliminated. And I grew up in a household with two older brothers who were Bulls fans, so you can imagine oh. how difficult that was. Jeez. I mean, '93 broke my heart. Up 2-0, '94 make it to the finals. '95, uh, the Ewing finger roll. '97, the brawl, and they're up three-one against the Heat. Like I, when I think of my high school days, the Knicks played a massive part. Everything I did. And, and I said this to Oak, and I spoke to him literally two days ago, and I still can't believe I actually had an hour with Charles Oakley, even if it was via Zoom. I tried to emulate. I tried to walk like him. I tried to shoot like him. Ewing was my favorite athlete. It was like 1A Ewing, 1B Oakley. But I tried to play like Charles Oakley because I wasn't the tallest guy on the team, and I loved the idea of a guy who dove, who got into fights, who rebounded. I was that guy. Like people think I'm some like you know weak scrub. I was not that guy in high school. Um, I was trying to be a you know a white boy Jewish version of Charles Oakley playing basketball in high school, and I just loved everything about him. I loved how loyal he was, how he had his teammates back, and so yeah, I mean even the date of my first trip to MSG is etched in my brain because like the NBA and MSG and the Knicks were like this forbidden, impossible dream of mine that I couldn't touch living in Canada because the NBA was such a non-factor in Montreal. If you would have told me now at this point in my life, some 25 years later, that I get to talk to these guys and interact with these guys, I mean, it's. I feel like I'm living a dream. I, I truly feel like I am blessed. How did it start? Where? How are you finding these games in Canada and in a place where it's not the number one sport at the time? No, not even close. Remember, this is pre-Raptors, right? right. So I, I started to become a Nick fan in 1990. I was eight years old. I went into a... Um, I was in a shoe store. So my, my brothers and I, like we loved American sports. We were bigger fans of the NFL, the NBA than we were, say, NHL. 
Um, we just, we, we love basketball is our favorite thing. So like our version of ESPN, TSN never talked about the NBA. I mean, I remember watching TSN sports desk. That was our sports center. And it would literally be like a 30 minute or hour show. And the only NBA that you would get was with a minute left in the program. And before we go, here's last night's NBA scores. And it would just be like Philadelphia, 92, Boston, 84. And that was it. Like no highlights, no nothing. So it was almost impossible to follow the NBA. Pre-internet as well. The only thing I had was the NBA on NBC. That was it. Um, and so anyway, we, we went to a, um, a shoe store. My brothers, for some reason, I think they were ribbing me, to be honest, said, uh, you should get those shoes. And they were Ewing's shoes. Ewing had his own pair of shoes. He wasn't signed with Nike or Adidas or anything like that. He had Reebok. He had his own pair. And so I bought them. And then when I bought them, I was like, all right, I need to find out who wears these shoes. Like, who's this Ewing guy? And when I watched them, I fell in love with them. So 91, they got smoked by the Bulls. But it was really that 92 team that took the Bulls seven games, second round, that really made me feel something about a team. Like, I really wanted them to win. I wanted to stick it to my brothers. I wanted them to beat the defending champions. I loved X-Man. I loved Oakley. I loved Anthony Mason. I loved Starks. I loved Ewing. I loved Pat Riley. Like, I loved everything about that team. And uh, after that, I was I was all in. Like when I say I was all in, I was all in. I was obsessed. In '94, when they made the finals that year, uh, I was in the sixth grade. I had two jerseys at the time. I had a Ewing jersey and a Starks jersey. And for the entire playoff run, because I believe they would finally win that year because Jordan was playing baseball, I just rotated. One day I wore a Ewing jersey. The next day I wore a Starks. Ewing Starks. Ewing Starks. From April to June, that's all I wore to school. Uh, and by the way, none of my friends cared. None of them wanted to watch with me. None of them knew anything about what I was talking about. And then actually I found uh, like a bodega. Um, you would call it a bodega here in, in Montreal. We call it a depanneur that sold the New York Post and the New York Daily News near my house. So I would walk there to read about the Knicks and buy it and be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Then I realized in the mid nineties that if I stay up late enough and move my Walkman, if you remember that a certain way, I can get WFAN super late at night and listen to people talk about the Knicks. And so that was a huge deal because I literally had no connection unless they were the NBA on NBC game of the week. Mm -hmm. That's the only time I could watch them. Um, But you know, it kind of strengthened my, my love of the team. I was going to say, because if you're a New Yorker, you, you're you seeing on the post, on the back pages, yeah. every day it's Knicks. It's it's the number one team in town. That's why when, when the Nets come into the fold, I mean, it's, it's not as comparable. The city's heart is with the orange and blue. It is with the team in Madison Square Garden. Having to go out there and find all these areas to follow the team – that sounds like it's it's even more ingrained in you that you're, oh, yeah. you're a fan of this team because you had to go seek it out to get your information. I had to work to get the yeah. information. Not only that, uh, like it made them feel even more special because like, you know, now it's all 82 games. It's just there, you know, but it's like, oh my God, Sunday at 3.30, it's Knicks and Bulls. Like I was looking forward to that all week long, you know? And I remember in 97... Uh, we got DirecTV. Now, if I'm being honest, you're actually not allowed to have DirecTV in Canada because they have their own satellite system, but you don't get American channels. So we had a hookup that got us DirecTV, which meant I got MSG Network, which meant I can listen and watch 
Marv Albert and Johnny Hoops, John Andres, and now I'm getting every nickname. And I remember the theme song. I was like, dun, 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 dun. Like, I remember it in my brain because I was like, oh my God, I get to watch MSG. I get to watch the actual Knicks channel. I don't have to wait for NBC or the odd. So TSN, our sports channel, would sometimes, sometimes take a TNT broadcast like once every blue moon. I don't have to wait for that. This is incredible. So that was a game changer for me as well to get the Knicks broadcast and to get like the post game show and all the stuff that I was never exposed to was very, very exciting for me. And, uh, you know, that was a very likable team. That was a very fun team to, to be a fan of. And so that, you know, and basketball was my favorite sport I played in high school. I played um, Maccabi basketball, which is sort of like Jewish Olympics. I represented Montreal in 98. I represented Canada in 99. Uh, everything about the culture of basketball, the shoes, the shorts, the clothes, and one gear, like all that. Like I was, I was all in on the sport of basketball. And remember, the Raptors only came in '95. And even when they showed up, and they're playing in the and the Grizzlies as well, Raptors were were shown more in Montreal because we were closer. Um, no one really cared. Like it didn't really change much until you know Vince came, and that's when you know they became a real you know a real thing that people started to follow. Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jacks. How do you follow the Knicks now? Are you as tabbed up on him with uh, the way that they've been playing right now? Mm, it hasn't been a great year. Last year was tremendous. I'm wearing my We Here sweatshirt. Shout out to Julius Randle, who was like the darling of New York City last year and now is, you know, public enemy number one. This is how, how quickly things can change. I thought after last year, all right, it didn't end well in the playoffs against Atlanta. But you know what? We're out of the lottery better days are ahead and now it's like what are we going back to the lottery what the hell is happening here guys um i i actually think that so last year's team will be a team that i will uh forever love and appreciate because as you know last year especially in the winter it was a pretty damn depressing time living in new york or in you know the regions around new york right pandemic you know we're still like vaccines aren't even a thing and things you know we're like we're talking about you know still in the early stages of, of this thing it's not Shut even down. a year old yeah. yeah so the knicks uh gave us a lot to be excited about and the season started late but it was like wow every game was must watch and they were surprised and i believe and we'll never know if this is actually true or not but i believe they benefited from the fact this young scrappy team um, a bunch of have-nots, people that you know were kind of forgotten about. I believe they benefited from the fact that they were playing in empty arenas, and especially in empty Madison Square Garden. No pressure, no bright lights, no celebrities. You just go out and ball. Sort of like how the Heat were in the bubble, you know? And uh, you see what happens. The fans came back, playoffs start, and they crumbled under that pressure, and you see how they are now. Now, of course, there's a lot of other issues, but I really do think they benefited from the fact that it was just go out there and play and not have to deal with anything else. And it was tremendous. And it was it was so much fun to see them end fourth and get home court advantage. 
And then I had high hopes for this year with the Kemba trade. Um, I like the Fournier signing, even though, you know, I thought it was a little bit expensive. I thought they did a nice job um, with the draft. They really only lost Reggie Bullock. I thought Mitchell Robinson would come back. I thought Randall gave them like a nice hometown deal. Like it just seemed, you know, Tom Thibodeau, I believe in very much. And for whatever reason, it hasn't, you know, I thought, you know, RJ takes that next step. It hasn't really come together. Now the season isn't over. It's still, you know, early February, but I would be lying if I said I felt the same way about this team as I did last year's team. So I'm still following them. I'm still reading and listening to podcasts and watching, but it's, you know, it's been a lot more disappointment than, than last year. You're listening to podcasts. You're that invested. Oh man, I listen to, you should see my, I listen to like the most, I mean, I don't want to say like, I'm not trying to crap on them, but like small time stuff. By yeah. the way, I'll say this. I think that the Knicks, I want to give a, so there's, there's one site called Knicks Fan TV. I think they're the best. Right. But I, I would say as far as like a team goes, the, they probably serve the fans. Work, I, and I'm not looking at every team, but like they don't give us a lot of good stuff. I would like more, especially like we don't get any of that. Like there's no Knicks podcast. I'll I'll even take like a, and please do it guys. Like I'll even take like a state sponsored one. I don't care. I, I want, you know what I mean? Like where they're not going to ask like, you know, I, I'm known to ask the, the hard hitting questions. Like I just want more Knicks content. And I feel right. like, like even I, I've even suggested, I, I, I met one of the guys, I was like the post game show that they have on MSG, put that on a podcast feed just so I can listen to it the next day in the morning. I'm not staying up till 11 o'clock every night. Like I feel like they could do so much more to serve the fans. And actually for the longest time, a lot of the media, you know, there's this, there's this, um, I'm going down a, a tangent here, but like there's this misconception that the New York media is all big, bad, and tough. I actually think that they do a pretty poor job of covering the Knicks. It's a lot of like womp, womp, negative, kind of lazy stuff. But in the last couple of years, there's been an influx, maybe due to the success of the team of like younger writers, independent guys doing their own thing. And they're a lot better than the traditional big outlets that cover the Knicks. So I'm, I'm grateful for them. And I appreciate the content that they put out. But, you know, I'm a fan of the, like right now, I'm a fan of the Bills. The Buffalo Bills are, you know, they've always been my favorite baseball team, uh, football team, my favorite baseball team. Blue Jays, I was an Expos fan. They don't exist. Like if I compare the content that those two fan bases get compared to what I get as a Nick fan, it's piss poor, if I'm being honest. So I want more podcasts. I want more. That's my plea to the world here is more, I want more Nick's content. I know that I'm, it's falling on deaf ears to the jazz site, but I'm happy that jazz fans are served well by people like you. Look, it's something that you have to do nowadays is find your fans where they are. And Knicks fan TV, I've seen a couple of them because they do like caller interaction stuff. Yeah, I it's think good it's, stuff. That's where it should be next in the iteration of, of this whole thing. Like when you're when you're doing a postgame show, you should be able to not only have like the regular normal radio deal where you can do the call-in stuff but there should be this visual element too where you're you're chatting with the fans that you're you're servicing that's the best you get the raw emotion they tell like it is sometimes they're crazy sometimes they're not um give me more of that like the post game radio show like there it's it's nowhere to be found where is that where's the podcast if you're doing content now and it's not vod or aod yep. audio on demand then what the hell are you doing because most people are watching it after the fact, right? Like Definitely. no one's, you know what I mean? And so I know they do it, but like, do you just want it to live in a silo and that's it? Drives me nuts. As a fan, I want more.
What was the most Crazy. irrational you got last year? Was it in <sighs> when Ice Trey was yelling at the fans? Where was it? The annoying thing about last year was I felt like they could have won, except for I think it was game three, which they really laid an egg. I think it was game three. I felt like they could have won. Like they lost the, no, sorry. They lost the first two games. So it was game four. Um, they lost the first two in New York. And I was like, they should have won those games. It's like little things here or there. And so that was annoying to me because um, so much was made of home court and all that. Right. Um, and then they got whooped. And then it just kind of, game five, they kind of threw in the towel. But you remember, like, you remember the fans going absolutely bonkers? Or maybe they, you know what? Now that I think of it, they lost game one, they won game two, and then they stunk it up on game three. But you remember the fans went bonkers when they won game two? Like, people were celebrating in the streets. Like, we had just won the championship. That's how starved Knicks fans are to have just a winner. And I say to people all the time, like, we don't necessarily need a championship team. We just want to have something to care about. We just yep. want to have a team to, like, be proud of, to feel like we're playing. You know what was great about last year? The fact that the season started late, like the games were happening in May and June. I haven't watched Knicks basketball in May and June in like freaking 15 years. You know, like that that one good year, 2013 with uh, with Mello and Mello. stuff. They made it to the second round against the Pacers. Roy Hibbert blocks him, blah, blah, blah. And then prior to that, it was the freaking 90s. You know, like that was the yep. one anomaly in the 2000s. So it was nice to have like really nice weather out and be like, wow, there's a Knicks game on tonight. This is tremendous. Um, but yeah, having the finals in July was weird. Uh, I don't want to go back to that. So yeah, so I, I really was annoyed because I felt like they let those games slip away. And, and obviously Randall didn't have a good playoff and I supported him and I still support him and I still think he can turn it around, but uh, nothing's been good since that playoff series against the Hawks, unfortunately. I know it's getting desperate in New York when I'm starting to see SNY or the New York media types starting to think about poaching other stars. Mm -hmm. Tom Mitchell, clearly the the one that everybody wants in New York. Uh, yes. Are you getting to the point where you're starting to dream of of other players coming to New York? No, because like I've made that mistake a gazillion times in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. this guy's coming. LeBron's coming. This guy's coming. Lillard's coming now. This guy, you know, like I'm I'm done doing that. Which and one hurt the most that you've you've done that for? Probably LeBron in 2010. Oh. Like, yeah. The decision, the the initial decision, like I really, I mean, there were all kinds of rumors. And I will admit, I did convince myself. I mean, not really my fault. Every freaking media guy was telling us, oh, yeah, KD and Kyrie are coming, right? Um, yes. That was a blow. I remember exactly where I was. I was in uh, Disney World with my kids. And uh, the, the tweets come in that they're going to Brooklyn. And I think it made it worse that they were going to Brooklyn, right? Like if they were going to Chicago, it'd be like, all right, well, you know, Chicago, God bless. But it's like, really? You guys went to freaking Brooklyn? You, you wanted to come to New York, but we're such a crazy franchise that you had to go to Brooklyn? Um, that was a bummer. I mean, ugh, it would be so great to have KD on, the, on this team. Um, so yeah, so the, the probably the 2010. And there was a period, I think it was 96 or maybe 97, where Jordan, you know, towards the end of MJ's career, uh, he uh, was just signing one-year deals. Yeah. This is like pre-Wizards. And uh, I remember there was a magazine called Sport Magazine, which no longer around, which I used to get all the time. And it was before one of his free agencies. And they had like five Jordans on the cover him wearing a Bulls jersey, a Lakers jersey, a Knicks jersey, and whatever. And I remember just staring at him in the Knicks jersey and being like, oh my God, could you imagine? And I kind of convinced myself that he was going to come and, you know, 
And he's obviously. allegedly from New York, right? Allegedly, he spent like a cup of coffee in uh, yeah. Brooklyn, like Mellow too. Um, but yes, it would have been nice. It would have been a nice story. And you have to think like it's amazing in in baseball. Like everyone wants to come play for the Yankees and Mets, right? And and the Jets and Giants suck, but you know they've had you know the Giants have their two Super Bowls as of late. The Jets made it to the conference finals. People forget with Mark Sanchez and stuff like that. Like you would think that. Everyone wants to, you know, it's the Mecca. It's the world's most famous arena, blah, blah, blah. But of course, there's this, you know, there's this owner that no one wants to play for, apparently, according to Charles and uh, so many others. Uh, and it's just frustrating that, like, we are, like, New York and basketball are so synonymous. And the fact that we've been mired in this 20 plus years of misery really makes no sense because fans like myself remember in the 90s the Knicks were a model franchise the Knicks were the Spurs the Knicks were well run they were well coached uh they had a great front office Ernie Grunfeld Dave Checkett's like they were not the butt of the joke and I'm happy that like I, I was saying last year all the time like the LOL Knicks are done because every every social media outlet everyone loved to like LOL at the Knicks and it felt like they were finally done and and they're not a laughing stock right now. It's just more of like a disappointment. You know what I mean? And so I guess I'm 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 thankful for that. The laughing stock days were tough with Isaiah and everything, but you know, I wasn't expecting a disappointment this year. Now it's the bing bong next. You know what? I hate the bing bong thing. Out like, on it. Not, I, I never was in on it. It was like one time, it was one funny video, it was one game, and now every freaking loser. Social media, have the Jazz done bing bong? Please tell no, me the Jazz haven't. No done. bing okay. bong on the Jazz. Good. You know what? It's, it's like enough already. You beat the Knicks. You're the Memphis Grizzlies and you beat the Knicks in February. You don't do bing bong, all right? I'm sorry. You don't spike that football. And now it's getting out of control. I saw like the Blackhawks beating the Islanders and I see them posting the score and it's like bing bong. You beat the freaking Islanders. Enough, okay? There's no freaking MTA over there. There's no subway. Enough with the damn bing bong. And now I'm seeing it like with like the Rams and the Packers. Like what? What is it? What does even the bing bong thing even signify? So it's no. gone cross sport, cross cultural. It's Stupid. everywhere now. I hate it. I hate it. You know it's another pet peeve of mine. What do you got? That 2013 Nick team. They called themselves Nick's tape. Like the bench was Nick's tape. It was mm -hmm. Iman Shumpert and stuff. That was just for that team. Stop referring to them as Knicks tape. It's not Knicks tape anymore. It's not Bing Bong anymore. They're the Knicks. Let them have their own damn identity, and that's it. Don't get me started on the Bing Bong thing. I, a friend of mine works in social media with me, and every time I see a damn Bing Bong tweet, I send it to him. I was like, these freaking people are so lazy. Like, come up with something a little more original than this. Enough with the Bing Bong. It was never a thing. They weren't the Bing Bong Knicks. Everyone was trying to will it into a thing. You know, it's not as clever as say, hashtag take note. I like that. Shout out to the jazz for that. Take note. I hope Bing Bong goes away. I hope so too, for your, your own mental yeah. health. It really <laughs> riled you up. It did rile me up. Yes, you, you, uh, you hit a nerve with that one. You did. Sorry, I'm passionate about my team. I love my, uh, I love my Knicks. I had to sort of put my fandom, uh, you know, check it at the door when I was doing sidelines a little bit. Did you I ever get of, a like, Nick game? I never got a Nick game, no. Okay. I got a lot of Celtics games. I did, I think, 11 total. I, I got two Christmas games, which was wild for me. That is awesome. Uh, I got, to, Yeah, wild. I got to do the first one in Canada. So after that 2019 season, Raptors hosted the Celtics, the one and only time there's been a Christmas game in Canada up until this point. That was a huge deal, as I mentioned earlier, Canadian basketball, all that stuff. Um, and uh, got to do uh, a game in my... A, a really cool one was... 
Clippers Heat, 2020, January of 2020. Amazingly, Kawhi's first triple-double of his career. At this point, he's like in the league wow. nine, ten years, and he never had a triple-double, which was, wow, great game. At the time, the, the Heat were incredible at home. And the Clippers, you know, this was their first season with Kawhi. And so just to do those, like I'm doing the walk-off Kawhi interview. How does that happen? How did I end up here? Like I'm sitting there, I'm like, I used to watch Ahmad Rashad. And now I'm the guy that Mike Breen is throwing it to. Oh, uh, and uh, now let's go to Kawhi. Like that's freaking nuts, man. I'm sure that was insane to have, to A, to be working with Mike Breen because Knicks. Yeah. And B, to be on that stage because NBA. Dude, how that happened was I'm at ESPN. And the reason I go to ESPN is like, so I can expand, right? I, I don't want to just be viewed as the MMA guy. Mm -hmm. So I joined ESPN in June of 2018. And for a whole bunch of other reasons, like in my back of my mind, I'm like, I don't know how long my time at ESPN is going to last because of the politics with the UFC and my relation. And I'm like, I need to make the most of my time at ESPN because this could all end tomorrow. So three months into my time at ESPN, I find out who is like the executive producer of NBA on ESPN. And it's this great guy named Tim Corrigan. And so I find him, I send him an email and I say, I'd love to come by just to introduce myself. He says, sure, come by at this time. I go to his office, never met the guy. And I say to him like, hey, I don't wanna take a lot of your time. You have a great team. If you ever need someone in a pinch, 11th hour, utility guy, someone's sick, someone's out, someone's hurt, I would love to be considered. He says to me, uh, I've been here 20 plus years. No one has ever walked into my office and said this. I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about the world of MMA. I'm not familiar with you or your work, but I appreciate you doing this. And right now we're full, but hey, you never know. So several months pass uh, and he, he calls me and he's like, hey, would you want to do the G League showcase in Vegas? I couldn't do it because it was an MMA event. I was away, UFC event. I couldn't do it. And I was like, Free, that was my shot. That was yeah. it. That was yeah. it. And I turned it down. He's like, no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry. I was like, oh, sorry. I mean, I have an actual job covering. I can't, you know, go to the G League showcase when I'm supposed right. to be covering a UFC. Um, several months pass and they're like, hey, UFC is in Vegas in July. So is Summer League. Do you want to do some Summer League games? I say, yes. So I got to do three straight Summer League games with George Sedano, who's awesome, play-by-play, Great and guy. Vince freaking Carter as the as the analyst. And so like, how about that, right? Vince Carter, like, holy crap, this is nuts. Do it. They apparently love it, but I didn't get a ton of feedback. So then it's July, August, September. I'm like, is anything going to come of this? I don't know. I'm sitting actually in this room right over there to my right on my computer, and I get an email from someone who works at ESPN. And they're like, hey, Ariel, these are your first two games of the season. I was like, what? First two games of the season? I didn't even know I was in. First game. First week of the season, Mavericks at Pelicans. Now, why is this big? It's Porzingis' first game, first week with the Mavs. He got traded, was injured. So, and I loved Porzingis and I thought he was going to be our guy. And I still felt like it should have ended differently. So that was super cool. At the Pelicans, at the time, was going to be Zion Williamson's home opener. Um, he ended up being injured and not playing. But, you know, I was like, holy crap, this, what a game this is. Porzingis, Mavericks, Doncic, Zion. And then I look at who the broadcast team is. Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Ariel Hawani. My first game, Mike Breen, the voice of the Knicks. Jeff Van Gundy, my favorite coach of all time, who I would freaking go through a wall for. Knicks legend, freaking hanging, hanging on, you know, By morning's leg. Yes. <laughs> and me and Hawani, do you know what that felt like? I can't even tell you what that felt like. 
before the game going to lunch with those guys like i'm getting chills just talking about it and i'm thinking to myself ariel how the hell did you end up here how did, you would have paid i felt like i won like some sort of fantasy camp you know for like a, a super fan and you get to yep. hang out with me and van Gundy. The best part was they couldn't have been nicer. They couldn't have been more welcoming. They weren't like, who are you? What are you? What? We're the A-team. This is Breen and Van Gundy. What are you doing here? And I'll never forget the first thing I did. The first thing I did on camera was interviewing Porzingis in the layup line. And Porzingis is an MMA fan. And so he's like, what's up, Ariel? I was like, this is freaking nuts. And so I asked him a few questions. And then I toss it back to Mike. And then in the commercial, this is pregame. He's like, that was really good you did a great job. And I just remember like the feeling like washing. I was so nervous. I felt like my heart was going to like beat out of my throat. I was so nervous. And so that was crazy. And then, the, and so the two games I get in the email, Breen Van Gundy and Hawani game two, Christmas day in Toronto. Like what the hell? How did this happen? Back to <laughs> so, back. Yeah, it was, it was. So I got to do, I think in total 11 games, it was all amazing. The last couple ones were a little bit weird. Cause it was, um, pandemic and like there's oh, no one in the yeah. stands but yeah. the last game i got to do was with breen and van gundy in chicago bulls uh celtics last may and uh actually it was freaking wild because at that point i kind of knew i was leaving and uh mike had really been nice to me and actually asked me if i wanted to go get lunch before the game and now like we've worked together a couple times and i was just like i can't believe this man and i told him i was like the best thing to happen to me out of this whole experience at ESPN, which is kind of ending on a bit of a sour note, is meeting you and working with you. And uh, when I announced that I left, unsolicited, he sent me like the nicest text message. Uh, and, you know, just words that I will never forget. Like that guy is even cooler and nicer and down to earth than you think he is. He is the real deal. I love that man. And I love Van Gundy too. Um, so, and, you know, I love Tim Corrigan. He gave me that shot. He didn't have to do that. Who the hell was I? There's a thousand people that could do that job at ESPN. So that's the highlight of my time at ESPN is getting to work those games. How do we get you on more NBA games? How do we get you with Turner or NBA TV? Uh, uh, you know, I, I did briefly talk to Turner when I was kind of like figuring out my next steps, but they've got a great roster too. So there was nothing really there. Um yeah, you know, I talked to Derek a bunch of times, you know, the 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 PR guru of uh of the jazz. Huge MMA fan, super nice guy. Um I just I, I love talking to him. Anytime he, I don't try to bother him, but you know, he got me Jarepko on on my show when they were in the playoffs a couple of years ago and just a great guy. Um we were always like, Oh, you gotta do a jazz game, but I never got a jazz game, unfortunately. And so I, I I dabbled a little bit, or I have dabbled recently with Showtime basketball. I got to do a show with Paul Pierce and um a little bit of stuff. So maybe, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there. But yeah, for now, uh I'm a basketball free agent, I guess you can say. It it was really fun. And the coolest part, yeah, I gotta tell you, like I did um this one of the next games I did was Wizards Cavs. Um and the crew was Ruko, Doris Burke, and me. And I think Doris is like one of the greatest to ever do the sideline job. You know, she's way more accomplished now and she should be exactly where she is. And she's one of the best analysts in the game. And I remember I did a, I think it was a, a coach, like a, a second quarter coach or beginning a second quarter coach's interview with Scott Brooks, who was the coach of the Wizards. And I, you know, it's just two questions. And she texts me in the middle of the game 
like you were doing incredible. Those were amazing questions. I was like, you're Doris Burke. How does this happen to me? You know? So like the, the um, feedback and the support that I got from these people that we all look up to and who are almost like larger than life, at least for me, the, the, the hardcore hoops fan was amazing. So I'd, I thought I brought something a little bit different to the table and I was trying to have some fun with it. And I've watched so much basketball over the years and so much uh, basketball on TV that I know like what works and what doesn't. And so it would be nice, but honestly, if it doesn't happen, like I am at peace because I got to do it. Um, and if you, again, if you would have told like the 1993 me that I would do that once, I wouldn't have believed you. We got to get you out for Darren Williams night. When he comes here, because he's my guy, he's in your he's in the fight universe. That's my he guy. Yeah. Want to know retired on top. Yeah. Get you back out. I love Darren. He's also an MMA fan as well. He is a huge MMA fan. I met him several years ago uh, and I got to do his one boxing match in late December against Frank Gore, which was tremendous. I thought he handled it so well. Uh, but yes, I would love to go to a jazz game. My best friend growing up, best friend till this day, his name is Mo Liebman. He lives in Montreal. Uh, we met in second grade. I was hardcore, hardcore Knicks, hardcore Knicks fan, right? As I told you, uh, Ewing, Oakley, Starks. He was hardcore jazz fan. His oh. favorite player, yes, he was. His favorite player was John Stockton, and so we always wanted, you know, a Knicks jazz final. Um, but that's that's where my jazz sort of Western Conference team thing started. Like Knicks were his Eastern Conference team, Jazz were my Western Conference team, and Stockton to Malone. My favorite jazz player was Antoine Carr. The big dog. Big dog. The glasses. Because glasses, like the freaking man. But, you know, he had that kind of Oakley style, right? Like, I love the bruisers, right? The guys who weren't flashy and scoring 35 points, but like the guys who would freaking take a bullet for their teammate. Those were my team. So, I mean, uh, those two playoff um, series against the Bulls, 97, 98, like I was all about the Jazz. Like, I love those teams. Uh, my second favorite player was... Um, was uh, Russell. I loved Russell, uh, Byron Russell. Byron Russell, uh, yeah. Byron, don't call me Brian Russell because you know the spelling was a little bit different. Yes. Um, and he was definitely pushed by Michael Jordan in 1998, 1,000%. But no, those teams, I could talk to you about those teams ad nauseum. Um, Greg Ostertag and uh, Jeff Hornacek um, and, of, you know, Russell and Stockton Malone. And uh, uh, you know who I also really liked? David Benoit. I was a big David oh, Benoit yeah. fan. His dunks were great. Um, and actually, weirdly enough, I was filling in for ESPN radio the night, unfortunately, that Coach Sloan passed away. Mm. And uh, we were trying to find someone from the jazz to talk about him and honor him. And uh, I actually asked Darren if he could come on, but unfortunately he couldn't. And uh, we, we got, and this is crazy, uh, Mark Eaton. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Within like, like he replied and we got him on the air. And for me, that was huge. Like Mount Eaton, may he rest in peace as well. Uh, I was a huge fan of his. Like I, I really love, I love those jerseys. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Frank Layden, Scott Layden didn't have a great run with the Knicks, unfortunately, but I thought he was always very funny. So yes, Howard I have Isley? a Howard Isley. Yes. Nick Shandon Jazz Anderson. Yes. Shandon Anderson, of course. Starts uh, yes. at the end of his career. Yeah, very briefly, yes. I don't really remember that fondly. Uh, but no, I have a great, great affinity for those uh, jazz teams. The Delta Center, it was uh, an amazing, amazing venue to watch games, and it was always so loud. 
and uh yeah the mailman was the man yeah those are you know gonzaga all we knew about gonzaga back in the 90s was john stockton I was like what the hell is gonzaga now of course it's you know a powerhouse but it's like gonzaga is that even a real place so yeah so shout out to my friend mo who's going to be very excited that i'm talking to uh the jazz here today great well i i look forward to ha- one day you making the trip out to salt lake city to catch the jazz because mo I'm and sure, i are going to be there i'm sure the derek will give you the all-star treatment when you get yeah here. I got to see one uh, jazz game in Miami a couple of uh, Christmases ago. You guys were in town, and Derek was very, very kind to hook me and my family up. Um, and you, they were wearing those like uh, I guess they're the city ones. They're yep. The 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 yeah. Oh, what a beautiful jersey that the is. Gradient. Yep. Yeah. Oh, tremendous. Uh, so yes, fond, fond memories, and uh, I, I will support them. People. I do the take note thing from time to time, and people get all mad at me like you're not allowed to be a jazz fan. Like. I, I go back. I, Antoine Carr. You tell me about Antoine Carr. I'll tell you about the big dog. What do you know about the big dog? What do you know I, about Greg Ostertag, double zero? I have a photo with the big dog. I, I really? have to find it. Yeah, I, he came because uh, we lived in southern Texas. He's from Texas. Mm. Okay. And so uh, he did a basketball camp down in Wesico, Texas, of all places. This is like the southern tip of the entire state. He comes on down, and it's big, big dog car, little itsy bitsy me like i couldn't have been three three feet tall and he was a great guy legend d-a-w-g the big dog yes Antoine Carr. ariel hawani thank you so much for taking the time to join utahjazz.com my pleasure this was fun take note All right.